Five, starting in verse 17. I did actually put here subtitled um, different places that opposition could come from. You know, when you're serving God, even sometimes very unlikely places. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wait, you're my friends. Wait, you're my family. You're supposed to support me and love me. What's, up? What's this opposition all about? What's this resentment? And we'll see right away, it, a lot of it comes from jealousy. And because of that, it could also come from other community groups, groups of people who are trying to do good, but because their worldview is different than your worldview. For instance, maybe their worldview is more deistic or even atheistic or naturalistic, i.e. they don't believe in God. They certainly don't believe in Jesus being the son of God. Then we might actually receive some resentment from them and jealousy, especially if we're doing well and we're succeeding. You know, who do they think they are? Those do-gooder, Bible-bashing weirdos, you know? Jealousy could happen. So here, I, funny enough, it comes from the other religious types, uh, the, the, San, the Sadducees. And so as verse 17 says, and the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the uh, Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he says, and tell the people all about this new life. Love it. He didn't rescue them to have a nice, cozy trip back home to be safe and warm and, and you know, throw on that Netflix and just, you know, watch your box sets you've been looking forward to. No, he says, go out, be free to continue to serve the Lord immediately. Keep going. Keep the fire. The, the, the mission is at hand. The task is at hand. This is what you're going to do. You're free. Feel good. Take a good rest. But first thing in the morning, you're going to go back to the temple courts. This is danger zone. This is the red area. This is the no-go zone. This is where the Sadducees were likely to hang out in the temple courts. Right? So you're going to go back to the heat of it. You're going to go right back to battle. And what are you going to do? Tell the people about the new life. The new life. That's the gospel, Right? That's the message. And the thing is, the message of the gospel we found in Acts coming off of Matthew is dead simple, dead easy. New life in Christ. Repent. Can't get easier than that. Repent. Change your ways. Find Christ. Be born again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ. Christ the way. Christ. Find Christ. Follow Christ. Christ. Be a disciple of Christ. It really is that easy. And so they're going to go and they're going to teach you about the new life. And the funny thing is, the amazing thing is, this new life is powerful. This new life is, is key. And in fact, in fact, this new life that we're, he's talking about here is what keeps us going through opposition. This new life is what keeps us going through persecution. This new life is very important. And we're going to see it unfold as we continue this morning. So in 21, at daybreak, they enter the temple courts. Just, I have to point out the obvious. They obeyed. Not only they're told to do something, they could have justified. You know, we're like, yeah, but you know, it's, it's not really prudent to go back to the temple because then you'll have to free us again when they lock us up again. 
So let's do something else. Let's go into the fields and, and preach where nobody's at. That's prudent. That makes sense. No, that's not what was ordered. That's not what was instructed. What was instructed? Go back to the temple. Yes, the hot zone. And start teaching people about this new life in Christ. That was the instruction. Did they do what they were asked to do? Yes, they did. As they have been told. And began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. Um, hmm, I had that part. We found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what might this lead to? <laughs> Next slide. Kind of funny. What might this lead to? It's almost like not just what happened, but what's the implications here? It's almost like they kind of knew what happened. God freed them because God does pretty amazing things, you know, and that's kind of what you would expect. And even they kind of expect it because they see a lot of really amazing things happen. So they're just worried. They're not worried about how this happened, which is ironic and weird because they should be wondering how this happened. This should be a sign for themselves to repent and change. Look at God's doing things. It's time for us to get our acts together. But no, instead, they're worried about the consequences. Oh, now more people are going to follow Jesus. The guilt. Well, not the guilt, the jealousy. The jealousy. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, like, it's like a cancerous beast that just hangs on. So continuing in verse 25. And we talked about, I know we talked about this last week, and this is more of a review, but it makes sense when we finish out. And someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Talking about a slap in the face. Yes, you didn't scare them. Or you may have scared them, but you know what? They've overcome the fear and they're following God's orders, basically. They're out doing that very thing you don't want them to do. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. One thing we see is a continuous theme with this Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Pharisees and whatnot, is they feared people. They feared people more than they feared God, okay? And because of that, they were bound. They were bound. They were, they, they, they were not free to serve God the way they should have been. Because they're religious people of the time. They were supposed to serve God. But instead, because their fear, you know, popularity, politics, what do you want to call it? Peer pressure. Because of fear of what people might think of them. They, 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 they weren't honest. Because if they were honest, they would go out and stone them right there and then. But because their fear of people, they, it, it, it compromised their integrity. So instead, they brought them in, in verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Do you see a stark contrast here between the, the Sadducees and, and the, the apostles? It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a clear contrast. Guys, if we were like you, no offense, and we were interested in what people thought of us, then we would be concerned about what you think of us right now, what you might do to us. However, we've got this great burden. And this great burden is God has given us a mission. And we have to obey God. Who's greater, God or a bunch of people? I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? 
We have to obey God. God has given us a very clear testimony, a witness, as he says. We've seen, we've heard, and we are declaring according to his commands. We can't stop. As if we did, we'd be in danger of God's wrath. <laughs> Forget your wrath. And the thing is, their wrath, people's wrath will come and go. But it's God's wrath that we're more <laughs> or less interested or concerned about. You know? So the God of our ancestors raised, here's the testimony, good God. This is the power of God. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. Can you think about that power? That's the kind of power I'm, I'm worried about. The power to kill someone I'm not so bothered with. It's the power to be able to raise someone who's dead. Is, um, is the power I'm concerned about. And so are the apostles. Okay. Whom you killed and hanged on a cross. God exalted him on his own right hand as a prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. That's the message, guys. That's the point. God sent his son. His son died on the cross. God exalted him. He raised him up. Why? So the forgiveness of sins may, may be made. Again, this is why repentance is a very important part of salvation and a very important part of the gospel. John, as early as John the Baptist, repentance, repentance. Jesus confirmed it through his own testimony. Repentance, repentance. Change. You must change. Forgiveness of sins. And this is what the new life's all about. We are witnesses of these things. And, and this is cool. I like this. And I'm going to re rephrase it again today. The apostles are witnesses and the others who saw. Because, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15 is a list of, a, of many, 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 many people who saw the risen Lord. But here's a cool thing. You know who else saw the risen Lord? The Holy Spirit. And this is why this is important. Look, look what this means. Look at the implications. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, who are those that obey him? Is that, is that, just, is that just the disciples and, and them? Or does that extend out to even us today? Think about that. The Holy Spirit is a witness of Jesus Christ, what he has done and what he's doing. Okay, so is the Holy Spirit a witness of these things, whom God has raised, speaking, of course, specifically of Christ and the work of Christ, and has given. So the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. So what does this mean? This means that we are just as much bona fide witnesses of Jesus Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our presence. So, you know what I'm saying? So, like, when we get that testimony, that touch, that impact, that encounter with God, and there's something that where it clicks with us, you know what? This business about Jesus might seem far-fetched to me back a while ago, but I've seen it. I've encountered it in a different way. That's the Holy Spirit opening your eyes and saying, okay, you've got koinia with me. You've got fellowship with the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit's seen the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit's now inside of you. He's within you. He is, does that make sense? So in a sense, we have a supernatural encounter with Jesus on the cross. His conquering of the death, his resurrection from the death and his ascension up into heaven. No, so I wrote that down there. Do you understand what this means? If you claim that the Holy Spirit is in you, moreover that you obey him, then you are witnesses of these things by the testimony of the Holy Spirit living in you. Next slide, please. So at this point, these Sadducees have to make some kind of decision. Wow, these guys are bold. But this logic is impeccable. I mean, certainly, if, if they believe they've heard from God, we won't be able to change their mind. So what do we do? 
It gives, it gives him a great problem. And so what here, we have some wisdom, wisdom by this Pharisee named Gamil. I love this wisdom. He, he, and the cool thing is, this, what, he, what he suggests here, the Sanhedrin said, kind of believes that through this, this, this scheme here, that the, that the Christian cult people would disappear. Like other, well, I hope, other cult people, right? But here's the power of it. Because they didn't die out. In fact, they're strong for 2,000 plus years going. You know what I'm saying? What this does is it actually proves the argument in the other direction. Let's just read this. Like I said, this is some pretty good wisdom. I like this. I like that this fellow recommended this. Verse 33 says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But they really couldn't do it because it would be unpopular for them. But a Pharisee named Gamil, a teacher of law who was honored by all people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Just put them up there. Just, just We need to talk. <laughs> then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Again, the backlash. You know, there's a lot of people in Israel. It could be problems. Could be problems. We don't want a backlash. We don't want any political issues. So let's, let's think of a diplomatic way of solving this problem. Okay, now, some time ago, verse 36, um, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers disappeared or dispersed, and it came to nothing. Okay? After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, which is about the time when Jesus was born, if you remember, the day of the census. And led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and his followers were scattered. You guys get the trend? You see what's going on here? You got these cult leaders. They come up, get people excited, they follow them, then they die, and it fizzes out. Right? Therefore, in the present case, I advise you leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin. That's a key term. If it's of human origin, if it's the work of the flesh, as Paul would say it, then it will fail. But if it is from God, like they are suggesting, right? I'm just obeying God. Well, let's, let's, you know, let's play their game. Let's take their, their logic to the next step. If it's from God, then it'll, it'll stand. If it's not from God, it'll fail like these other attempts. You will not be able to stop these men. If it's from, and that's, this is good. I like it. What a premise. If it's from God, you won't be able to stop them. So even if you tried to kill them, it won't work. You will only find yourselves doing what? Fighting against God. And certainly you don't want to do that. So his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they, and by the way, in a 21st century context, Okay, you're, we're going to free you. It's on you. Go. Oh, but before you go, we're going to beat you a little bit. I mean, think about the 21st century contest. It's like, whoo, we got off easy on that. Just a little bit of a beating. Sounds cool. Give me my beating so I can go back. Praise the Lord. We got a beating today for Jesus. Oh, we're so lazy and weak today. So anyways, his speech persuaded them. They got a doing, but they ordered him not to speak in the name of Jesus. Let him go. Next slide, please. So here's the question at this point. This logically takes us to the next step. 
So is this thing we see with his the disciples, the apostles, this word of life, this Jesus fella, this Jesus Christ, Messiah, was it just a, a, a cult of the day or is it legitimate? Is this from God? Think about it. Think about the history of the Western world, well, the, the whole world. You know, Christianity has branched out and spread around the whole world. And it's continuing to. How many people around the world have heard something about Christ? Is, this, is the name of Christ still on people's tongues and minds and thoughts? And not just like, like Socrates and Aristotle, where we talk about their philosophy and their impact. But are people believing in the crazy things that they believed in back then? You know what I'm saying? Because people talk about Socrates and Aristotle in their philosophy, and they talk about their, their, all their errors, you know, their theories. You know, they're certainly not seen as prophets or men of God or, or divine by any way, shape, or form. Think of other prophets that come and go. You know what I'm saying? There's something unique about Jesus Christ, and the fact that it's, he's still believed today, I think, testifies that it's from God. How many people know about Theodos? You know, the, the church of Theodos, the church of Judas of Galilean. We already know, they, they disappeared quickly within a generation. Next slide, please. So what we need to remember is this. The temporal versus eternal. I hinted on this before. But what really matters, what's reality? It's the eternal. That's reality. Temporal is just passing moments. It's like playing a game of, you know, when, we have, when you're a kid, you have the dominoes set up in, 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 a little, in a little design. And you flick it and each passing moment is like dominoes. Boom, gone. Boom, gone. And I hate to say, the older you get, the faster it goes. And, you, and everything is just a memory. And, and it's fading memories as well. That's temporal. It's, it's not pleasant. I hate to say it, it's not pleasant. You, you, it's, yes, another day to wake up. Another day to work. Another day. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's the temporal. It passes. You know, especially when you have children, because you want to hold on to those, those little souls. But in the temporal life, it's hard. It's too slippery. But in the eternal life, that's the real life. It's not like that. It doesn't pass. It remains. It's secure. It's forever. That is our focus. And this is the new life that we're talking about here, right? So look at the response. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. That takes a serious encounter with God. Most people I know, Christian or non-Christian today, would not be able to have that kind of response. Praise God, we got flogged today. Thank you, Jesus, for a blessed ministry. I mean, today we, we want to talk about filling a, a, an, an auditorium full of people and getting people to walk down an aisle so we can pray for them, and then we praise God. Forget that, what about getting a, a right good beaten for Jesus Christ? That's what they're praising here. Thank you. We were able, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to stand up boldly and bravely to, to take on persecution head on for you. That's the kind of characters, that's the kind of characteristic personality, that's the kind of encounter with God that keeps the that gives a church legitimacy. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the feed in the belly kind of consumer 1980s approach of Christianity, well, it doesn't last. In fact, it's, I think it's caused a lot of problems. A lot of churches are closing the doors nowadays because of consumerism. But it's real encounters with, with God, real encounters with Christ like we see here. I'm not afraid to suffer a little bit of harm for you, Jesus. They're praising God? 
They're rejoicing because they were kind of worthy. We need to talk about this topic for the next 10 minutes before we finish. So in 42, Howard, just to finish off this chapter, day after day, in the temple courts, oh, what are you guys thinking? This is, am I reading this correctly? Day after day? Talking about causing trouble for yourself. Come on, guys. Do, do what the man wants you to do. No, they're not going to do what the man wants them to do. They're going to do what God wants them to do. Day after day after day. I can just see the Sadducees and, and Camille and all Pharisees all like going, oh, man, not another day of these Jesus nutters. What's going on? But day after day, right in their faces in the temple courts from house to house. So they were in public, like we're doing right here, in the public. But they're also in each other's homes, visiting homes, right? It was both in the public, in the face of the established religion at the time. You know what I'm saying? Jesus. In the homes, Jesus. They never stopped teaching. They never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. In Matthew 5, verses 11, and before I go into this, I just want to make a side note because you know what? This is, sometimes these kind of messages can be quite heavy, but I've got some pseudo good news for you. And you'll know why it's pseudo good news. It's not real good news. It's, it's, pseudo means fake, doesn't it? It's kind of, but it's different. Pseudo, it's fake good news. As a Christian, you can avoid persecution. I read this. I was actually reading and doing some research. And I, I, when I came across this statement, it disturbed me greatly. But I want to share it with you because I think it'd be fair to share it with you guys. You can, as a Christian, avoid persecution. You can. You can do it by denying Jesus. Okay? If you deny Jesus, you will avoid persecution as a Christian. Like Peter did. Here's an example. Think about what Peter did. Okay? He potentially, and bear in mind, also this is pre-Holy Spirit-filled Peter. Okay? This is a Peter who is doing things in the flesh. Doing things in his own strength. Okay? And then when Jesus was, was being, you know, beaten and flogged and, and prepared for, 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 you know, his execution, Peter was kind of there. But then they were asking him, aren't you one of his disciples? Just like how maybe with us. Wait, aren't you one of his disciples? Jesus, Paul, Peter avoided persecution just right by denying him three times. So that is an option. So take that if you want to. I, I don't recommend it, though. That's why I call it pseudo good news, because it's, 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 it's weak. We don't want our, our encounter with God to be like that. That's shallow, isn't it? Isn't that shallow? So we don't want to be that way, do we? But for the rest of us, we have Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Again, remembering in our minds the difference between temporal and eternal, right? What are you trying to spare yourself from in a temporal sense when our reward is great in heaven? In eternity, in reality, from the same way they persecute the prophets here before you. Next slide, please. A couple more verses to share before we finish. So blessed are those who are persecuted because of their dedication to Christ. Here's a couple more very familiar passages from scriptures. John 15, which is headed in most Bibles, the world hates disciples. Okay? And it says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hates me first. This is Jesus talking here, of course. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. You know, 
just nice, passively, arrogantly, mediocrely, just, you know, doing its own thing, living wagamama, allaboutme.com, just, hey, doing it my way, old Frank Sinatra style you know what I'm saying? If you're one of them, you're cool. Yeah, we're all going to hell together. It reminds me of that Morrissey song. Uh, you know, it says, you know, um, I've got a place, a place when I die, you know, for me, reserved for me and my friends. And when I go, you know, uh, we won't get in your way, making you ill the way we did when we were alive. There's a place reserved for me and my friends in hell. That was a song. And that's the world. Just, hey, you know what? We're going to hell, but we're going there our way, our style, our postmodern pragmatic way. Leave us alone. In fact, join us. Because the thing is, if you don't join us, we get offended. Because we're, who do you think you are, Mr. or Mrs. Goody two shoe, right? You know what I'm saying? They hate, they, they love you if you're a part of them, but they hate you if you think you've got some salvation going on. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember, when I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If you obey my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. They don't know him. They don't know him. And that breaks my heart. They need to get to know him. But thing is, though, do we share the gospel with them? We are afraid to. Why? Because of the paradox. The paradox is what? Persecution. Listen, I know you guys. You hate me. You resent me. You're, you bother with my church-going activities and whatnot. But I'm going to tell you about Jesus. No. Then the persecution comes. So what do you do? Do you let them just go to hell quietly, peacefully? That's a tough one, isn't it? They don't want you unless you're with them. They don't want your Jesus Christ. You share it with them, you get persecuted. It's a paradox. There's a cost to be a disciple. And that's, that's the heading of Luke 14. I, I put this just to remind you of my statement from earlier. Or, it is easy to avoid persecution just like Christ. Just to kind of remind you, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. But that's a shallow kind of Christian life that's caused a lot of problems for us today in the church. So we don't want to do this, do we? So Luke 14 says this in verse 25. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus. See, think about the large crowds. Was, is that described the disciples? Or, you know what I'm saying? That the close followers of Jesus? Is that them, the large crowds? No. They were just, they were the consumer types. Ooh. Let's see what kind of things the church has got for us today. Here's a potluck today. <laughs> kind of people. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's the crowds. They weren't the disciples. They weren't the close ones. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus and turning to them and say, he said, he's, he's him talking to the crowds of people, being very straightforward and honest with them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brother, and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the crosses and follow me cannot be my disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Now, he's not teaching you to, to have a, a life of hatred, by the way, guys, just to let you know. What he's saying here is, if you put anything before me, that's what he's saying here, okay? It's as simple as that, okay? He's allowed to use a little bit of poetry because you know what? It's, it's powerful, and this, and this is very vivid. Basically, that's what he's saying. I mean, he's already confronted the fellow who says, oh, you know, I gotta need to go home and bury my dad. 
And he goes, well, then well, actually, we're supposed to let the dead bury themselves, which again is a bit poetic, a bit metaphorical. But the point is, is like, yeah, you know, Jesus, I, I would follow you, but you know, I got a boyfriend here, I got a girlfriend there, you know, and they don't like Jesus, and you know, I'm kind of, I kind of want to, I kind of like them, I kind of like them. They're fun. You get to make out and, you know, hoping to marry them someday. They're really pretty or whatever, you know. So, you know what, Jesus? Nah, 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 nah. I'm going to put you on hold, you know. Um, pressure in the family, pressure at work, pressure at school. If you're going to stand up for Christ and make him number one and be a, a disciple, it's going to get really uncomfortable for you. But if you put other people first, you're going to be a little bit like Peter. And, and when it comes to actually, you know, getting real with Jesus, you're not going to be able to. Next slide. So here's the church of no rebuke. If you guys remember in, in, in Revelation, Jesus talked to the seven churches in chapters two and three. Every single one of them got a rebuke from Jesus. Every single one of them were rebuked by Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine getting a personal letter from Jesus Christ himself. And it's a rebuke. Ouch. Right? But one church didn't get a rebuke. And that's a church in Smyrna. But let's, let's see what's different. Let's see what maybe, well, we're not going to read all of them, so I can't read what's different. But let's see what distinguishes them. Okay, what, what makes, what, 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 what can we say about this church in Smyrna? And wonder, why do they not get a rebuke? Well, it says here in, in Revelation 2, 8, the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last. This is Jesus talking about himself who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty. Okay, so they're going through it. Afflictions, poverty, they're being persecuted, okay? Yet you're rich. Okay, how is it that they're rich? If they're being afflicted and they have poverty, how are they rich? Think about that. How is it possible that they can be rich? What are they rich with? I know about your slander, Okay, or about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. But be faithful, even to the point of death. There's some pretty negative words in here. Jesus, come on, you're being a downer. There's some negative words in here. First of all, Satan... In his effect upon humanity, don't like that. Okay, don't like that at all. Okay, um, suffering, the word suffer, don't like that. Take that out. Um, putting people in prison, nope. Suffering persecution, nope. Point of death, nope. I wish I was not in there. Don't like that. It's very negative terminology. Jesus, what are you thinking? But here, it's all worthwhile. It's all worthwhile in perspective. Temporal, Eternal. Temporally, we've got this devil guy messing with us, suffering, prison, even to the point of death. Very negative, but it's just temporal. It's just passing cards or dominoes, we want to say. But here's eternity. Here is eternity. Here's what's real. Here's what really, really, really matters. I will give you life. Here's that word again life, eternal life, eternity, real life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, Church in Smyrna, Western World Church, Cornerstone Shots. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all. I love that. 
will not be hurt at all. You might be hurt a little bit here, but you won't be hurt at all. You won't be touched by the second death. Revelation talks a little bit more about what that second death is. That's not for today, but let's just say I'm glad I'm avoiding it because of my faith in Christ. Next slide. This is the final slide, guys. We'll be done in a few moments. Because it's good and it's important to, to end this kind of message with a bit of encouragement, okay? And I think if we're, we're bright enough to be able to pull together our own application and pull together our own encouragement, it's crystal clear. There's life, eternal life, and then there's this temporal life, which is just frustrating sometimes. And, and if you're living your life for Jesus, it's, it's very difficult sometimes, right? But there's some encouragement. I like this because the church in Thessalonica, they, they, they endured a lot of persecution as well. And this is Paul's encouragement to them. Let's just read this in 2 Thessalonians 1. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. See, the more and more you grow in faith, something tends to happen. That's Satan starts to loom his ugly head. And the love of all, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. See, isn't that cool? When faith increases, the love increases, that's really cool. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your pre- pre- perseverance and faith, ah, and all the persecution and trials that you are enduring. So isn't that funny how you're growing in faith, you're growing in love, you're bonding, everything seems all right, but then the persecution comes in. So then you have to do the next thing, which is fight, stand, endure, yeah? All of this is evidence. It's for a reason. It points to something greater than just yourself. Okay? And it's not just for the benefit of yourself and your family. It's for the benefit of others as well. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. Relief comes from God, guys. That's why they were able to, even in this world, even in this life, this temporal place we're in just now, that's why the apostles were able to walk out rejoicing. It's because even when you're going through it, God has the ability to give you relief. He gave relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And Paul, he knows about trouble and trials and tribulation and persecution. He's gone through tons of it himself. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven Again, a glimpse of eternity in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He'll punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Then he will punish with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all of those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony. And the thing is, you have that testimony in you, like we've already discussed, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. If, you be, if you've given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have that testimony as a part of who you are as a person. Do you believe it? Have you received it? Do you believe it? Are you obeying it? You see some words in context, like, like for instance, here he describes those who are reserved for everlasting destruction as those who disobey the gospel of the Lord. But not for us. For disciples of Christ, we obey it. Even the hard bits, you know? Last slide. And this is us. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. Let's pray. Lord.
crucified. 